Hey everybody, welcome to Glitchy Pancakes, real talk about the world of fandom. I'm Jesse. I'm Rob. And I'm Allie. Today we want to talk about an exciting new Netflix movie. It's number one in streaming nationwide as of today when we're recording this. It's the newest entry into the Sherlock Holmes universe, Enola Holmes. And to talk about this today and lend their expertise to us, we have the founders and chairs of the greatest Sherlock-themed event in the United States, possibly the entire world, 221 Beacon right here in Atlanta, Heather Holloway and Crystal Knoll. Hi. 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 Hey, Hi, guys. Hey, guys. Thanks for having us. Yes, yes. So you got to be pretty excited about this, right? Like, this, is, this was on your radar as soon as it uh, came out, I assume. Actually, um, we were really lucky enough to have Nancy Springer, the woman who wrote the uh, original novels, um, as one of our guests a couple years ago at 221 Beacon. So we have been excited about this for definitely a minute or two. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't know that, actually. Um, <laughs> so you, when, when was that so again? Do Sorry. your research. <laughs> oh, if you were Sherlock, you damn well would have <laughs> That, uh, yep, that wouldn't have slipped by us if we were in any way detectives. <laughs> what year was that, that that Nancy Springer was was at con? It was uh, two years ago, right, Heather? Yeah, it was two years ago. Okay, very nice. cool. And she wrote the books in about 2006, is that right? The first uh, one? The first one came out in 2006, yes. Yeah. Okay, all right. Very cool. So, can, can we maybe start out and you guys give us a little bit of your background on like each of you one at a time, like your, let's, let's get your Arthur Conan Doyle cred. How did you guys get into the uh, fandom? Our Sherlockian sort of CVs, you say? Yes, absolutely. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Heather, go ahead. Um, okay, so I have been a Sherlockian since about ninth grade. Um, when I was in ninth grade, my English teacher, Mrs. Phyllis Bright, assigned uh, the Speckled Band to our class, which we had to read. And after I read that, I ended up going to the public library uh, and got the complete works of Sherlock Holmes. And I read all of them. And I've kind of just always like loved Sherlock Holmes and, and the low or high key sort of uh, ebbed and flowed. So like I would be like a low key Sherlock Holmes fan and then I would just, uh, somebody would mention something and I'd all of a sudden be a high key Sherlock Holmes fan. <laughs> and so, um, which kind of actually leads us into how Crystal became a Sherlock Holmes fan, I think. Um, because we had been friends for many, many years. And I don't think that until that car ride to Statesboro, did you even know that I was a huge Sherlock Holmes fan, Crystal? Uh, no, and this is why I let Heather always tell uh, her Sherlockian <laughs> beginnings first, is because her she's the reason I am. So we had graduated Georgia Southern, um, in, uh, <laughs> and <laughs> we had gone back um, to hear um, Angela Davis actually speak on oh, the Georgia Southern wow. campus, which yeah. was fascinating if you've never actually heard her speak in person. Uh, and... On the way there, Heather did this big thing about how we had to make sure that the hotel had PBS because there was this new modern day Sherlock Holmes that was coming on. Now, oh, I had uh, known Sherlock Holmes had existed, you know, who didn't, right? You know, yeah. I remember the Doogie Hauser episode. I remember, you know, Wishbone and everything. Wishbone. But I was not a, a Sherlock Holmes fan. Um, but we went to the we went to the speaker. We went and hung out with some friends. We ended up at the hotel. We watched the first episode of, at the time, the BBC Sherlock series. And um, 
at this point it was pretty late at night too because we'd already gone to hear a night speaker gone to hang out with friends come back to watch like a prime time premiere of a television show and then gone where of course we went to waffle house to waffle house <laughs> but the the moment i became a sherlockian actually and i can pinpoint it was about 15 seconds into the episode because um i was hooked before we made it out of john watson's flat um oh. but midway through the episode and spoil alert if you haven't seen it it of course came out in 2010 um <laughs> <laughs> Heather did this whole thing about how they introduced this character they were labeling kind of as M and that they wanted you to think that it was Moriarty, but it, she bet it was Mycroft, which she was right, by the way. And (laughs) I actually, I actually shushed her and told her that I was fucking watching this. (laughs) That was when I knew she was. was. (laughs) And so we go to the Waffle House afterwards and, um, and we were talking about how it's really sucked. We had to wait a week to watch the next episode because PBS, you know, would wait a week before they'd show the next next uh, next show. Right. And then it occurred to us. I was like, wait, it's already aired in the UK, right? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, we have the internet. <laughs> so we then go right back to the hotel where we binged the last two episodes. Well, the wow. only other two episodes of the season. But don't worry, BBC has gotten all of my money since then. So I have paid for watching the two episodes early. <laughs> Many times over, probably. Um, then later on, we were at um, uh, what at the time was Timegate Convention, um, which eventually became Hulana. And... Um, that's when we created 221 Beacon and we've been doing that and basically as much Sherlock Holmes as we can ever since. Nice. Yeah, what was what was your first year? What was the first uh, actual year you, you held 221B? Uh, 2013. 2013. Nice. Right. And it drew, it, it, I remember uh, we've talked about this before. It surprised you a lot. The, the people that showed up and like the, the, the breadth of the fandom, the size of it uh, kind of caught you off guard, didn't it? We signed a contract with the hotel expecting between 75 and 100 people. And um, we ended up capping attendance at 700. Wow. Because it was getting so big. We were like, we don't know what to do. Just cap it at 700. (laughs) We had to to keep. Without a lot of people. We had to keep calling the hotel and asking for more space. We were like, we we need more rooms. (laughs) That's awesome. That's a good problem to have. That's amazing. It really, really was. And since then, Heather and I have, um, we're now co-editors of something called the uh, Serpentine Muse, which is a quarterly publication uh, journal. And um, we basically travel the United States and do all the Sherlock things that we can. And, you know, that's what we do. If, you, if you're not, if you don't really know that being a Sherlockian, like being a fan of Sherlock Holmes is a really strange kind of fandom to be in <laughs> because it's one of the oldest fandoms in the world. So there are these little like um, enclaves of people who are really into Sherlock Holmes and do kind of weird things that you wouldn't <laughs> expect. Um, and so where everybody's like, well, we go to cons. Well, yes, but these people have been meeting since like the thirties. So, um, so they're, they're like scions where people have meetings and there's an entire group of uh, groups that have celebrations of Sherlock Holmes's birthday every year in New York and every year in London. There's pilgrimages um, to Reichenbach Falls where mm-hmm. he supposedly almost died. Yes. You know. 
Um, right. So it's an interesting little uh, subculture if you ever want to get into it. Um, and we kind of break it down between traditional Sherlockiana and like new fandom Sherlockiana, but it's right. all fandom. Yeah, that, that's an interesting thing because you got, I, I had never really thought of it in the context of it being like one of the oldest fandoms, but you're right. I mean, you could have like, you, you, there could be fan societies going back to the 19th century. Like there's, there's been enough time for like secret societies to develop <laughs> and like, there, yeah, there really has been, especially um, because of how many people were fans of the original, like published stories, right? you know, and even Queen Victoria herself was a fan. Yeah, no, that that's that's amazing because that now you have it like it's spread out of all over the world, and you have people that have developed traditions over. I mean, I, I'm not doing the math real quick, but like 130 years, right? Like, yes, approximately. Um, if that's a long time for a fandom to exist and develop, and the you mentioned like a sort of old school and new fandom. That's interesting because like that's one of the fun things about your convention is that you have like people approach it from so many different ways and come to it so many different ways. Like you've got people that have been, you know, that were raised on, you know, reading the old books and they're just really into the the original stories and the detective side of things. And then you got people that really, you know, that liked a a movie or a show or you know a a weird game that they played one time or something. So a ton of different ways to come at it. Well, I, and I'll say this. So if you come to our, our con, um, shameless plug, um, <laughs> our con, you can meet people from, you know, both co- both sides of the fandom. In fact, I like to tell the story of um, one of the people who comes to our con who's never missed a con, Mary Lynn, who is... Crystal, how old do you think Mary Lynn is? Uh, I think that it is safe to say that we will not discuss Mary Lynn's age, but the first year that we had <laughs> registrations, she was upset that her uh, the little scrolly thing on the registration page would not go to her year. Yeah, it didn't go far. <laughs> um, so point being that when she, we met her because of the con, and she was so excited, she said that um, – uh, when we first started advertising, it kind of like trickled out into the Sherlockian community and somebody called her while she was in her car driving in Atlanta and she um, told her about the con and she pulled over into a parking lot so that she could register because <laughs> she was afraid that all the tickets would sell out before she could get a ticket to the event. Wow. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and it was the first con she'd ever been to. So, and now she comes every year and she cosplays. Awesome. That's awesome. And it's such a dedicated fandom too. I mean, you have people, unlike a lot of conventions, you've got uh, people that come from literally all over the world just for this yeah. event. Um that's that's a that's a cool way to look at at fandom is like especially I, I'm I'm just like sitting here fantasizing in my head about that there's like some secret society of of uh, detectives that was created in like 1892 or something that's been going on this whole time and they're like <laughs> that's well that's actually we always possible. we always like to say that it uh, in the Sherlockian fandom it is always 1895 yes gotcha. Yeah. Also, and this is a completely a completely different podcast, but there are two invitation-only Sherlock Holmes societies that you have to be invited to be a member of. Oh, that makes so, sense. And they've been around for, well, the first is the Baker Street Regulars, and they've been around since, what, 1934, Crystal? I can never remember the date. Uh, I, I, I am not going to attempt to be wrong. Okay, well, somewhere <laughs> around there. And then the Adventuresses of Sherlock Holmes, uh, and that the Adventuresses of Sherlock Holmes actually published the journal that Crystal and I are editors of. 
shameless plug. And um, <laughs> and the reason that the Adventures of Sherlock Holmes exists is because the Baker Street Irregulars would not admit women until the 90s. Wow. Oh my gosh, really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And so the adventuresses were created as a women's only group uh, to uh, to basically, you know, say, hey, well, we need our own group. Though they did picket the annual event until they <laughs> finally in the 90s were like, fine, we'll let women in. <laughs> wow. It's always a fight, isn't it? Yeah. Um, well, and speaking of women, we can only get into uh, Enola Holmes in particular. because. Yes. We'd uh, talk about that's how... the reason we're here. Yes. <laughs> it's just so, there's so much in this fandom, though. Like, it's easy to get diverted. Invite but... us back. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, there's there's so much more to talk about. Right. Um, but with Enola Holmes, like, we, uh, y'all had mentioned that it's based on a YA, YA book series by Nancy Springer, um, who, mm-hmm. at your convention recently. Um, so before those books, was there already canon about this character? Like, who who was Enola? What, what makes her special and how long has she been around? she was created by nancy springer she's not there is there is an extraneous home sibling that fandom kind of made up um named sharingford Holmes, but it's an older brother uh that was made up i don't know probably decades ago um to explain why neither mycroft nor sherlock had to go run the cat the like the family home Mm. even though they clearly had to have been landed gentry. So oh. there had to have been an older brother. Mm-hmm. So um, that that character has been kicked around in the fandom consciousness, but there's never been a sister that, um, you know, just sort of existed. So Nancy Springer, she, she came from her. Okay. Um, there was one other potential sibling. Was there not like a, a, a sister in the BBC? Yes. So the yes. BBC Sherlock, BBC Sherlock yeah. did have um, uh, a sister that was yeah. kind of a villain-ish yeah. okay. um, in the final series. And okay. if you if you pay attention, they the, one of the things they say in that is Sheringford. She's in the the place where she's being held is Sheringford. Sheringford. Yeah. Oh, that's oh. Right. Which, which was a nod to the, yeah. the long-standing idea that there was a Sheringford Holmes. Right. Uh, but yeah, but it's not like, no, there hasn't been a huge, you know, idea that there was a sister. And technically when was, when did this book was published before that. So Nancy got yeah, there. She did. Yep. That would have been by 11 years or so, I think. So, yeah. 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 And Nancy is a fascinating human being. If you ever have a chance to meet her, you should. She's really hilarious. Excellent. So what were your impressions of Enola Holmes? Tell us, tell us what you liked. Tell us what you didn't like. I absolutely loved it. I'm, <laughs> I'm not even going to attempt to sugarcoat that. So I had my own reservations. I'm not going to lie. Mostly because um, the um, writer of the script, Jack Thorne, um, is kind of known right now, at least, for having written the um, His Dark Materials series that right. was on TV recently. Right. And we all know how that turned out. Um, right. Yeah. But... Um, I, I will say that I was very pleasantly surprised 
with how this turned out. Um, I have read it, I've read the first novel. I'm currently in the middle of the second one. The um, first novel is uh, like 217 pages long. So he had to add to the story a lot to make it a two hour movie. Um, and all of his additions, I, I, I pretty much loved. Um, I feel like there should be some sort of small comment that we, um, we have friends that were consultants on the film um, and they have non-disclosure. So of course we don't know the specifics of anything that was discussed or how much of the original script made it in there or anything like that. But um, I do know that on a recent watch and live recording of them watching the, uh, the series, they, they loved it as well. So the fact that two people that worked on it were in love with it, you know, yeah, right. who are, who are Sherlockians that we, you know, love, you know, I, I take that as a good thing too. Mm-hmm. So here's a, here's a, here's a question. Uh, well, I'll just tell you how I felt about it first. So Henry Cavill, <laughs> um, he's a, he's an okay actor. I think he's a, he's a good actor for certain roles and I actually didn't mind the Sherlock. I, I kind of liked it. I loved his Sherlock. I, I, was, I could watch eight Sherlock. eight television shows of his Sherlock if somebody wants to do. Right, and and that's the thing. I, that's what I thought about when they showed the the clips in the film of him being Sherlock. You know, of you know, saving them and they animated them. I was like, I could watch this. I could watch him as Sherlock Holmes. The other guy is my as, as my as, as Mycroft. I don't I don't know if I liked that portrayal of Mycroft Holmes, but. I, I think Cavill nailed it. I really do. What do you think about Cavill? I, other than other than we all think he's a handsome guy who nailed this. <laughs> I mean, he's a handsome guy. You can't argue against that. No, no. Uh, no, he's, no he's, I really liked his portrayal. I thought it was right. understated, which a lot of people who right. play Sherlock Holmes do not go understated. Right. I think that the understated Sherlock Holmes is... is uh, underrated so um i thought that that was great and it wasn't like they tried to use the character to take away from enola holmes like they him to give her guidance and and i i thought it was a really great use of sherlock in a story that wasn't about sherlock right he he played a very very well thought out and well scripted uh secondary a supporting character. And I think that that's really important because as the Sherlock Holmes of the film, he really could have stolen every scene he was in, but he didn't. And, you know, he did keep uh, his on. So that was, (laughs) that did help. Granted, I'm not going to lie, but you know, and it it really allowed, and I'm not going to say this is going to come out wrong, but I'm going to say it anyway. His being so understated as Sherlock Holmes really allowed it allowed Millie Bobby Brown's Anola Holmes to truly shine. Right. It wasn't like there was a competition for the spotlight in any of the scenes that they were in. Yes. Um, and I'm not trying to take away from her, her ability as an actor. She is fantastic. And yes. I loved her in this so much. Um, and her ability to break the fourth wall without yes. actually taking us out of the movie. You know, all of that needs to be commended. She's fantastic. Um, yes. She has a but, bright future. Being yeah. the Henry Cavill, he could have walked in and stolen everything. He could have. I mean, and I think that also needs to be commended that he, you know, he as an actor didn't. Right. Um, yeah. He knew to pull back and to be understated, like 
like Heather mentioned. I mean, you when you're looking at this cast, um, it, it's full of Great Britain's 12 actors. I mean, yeah. like, <laughs> you, you, you had multiple. <laughs> yeah, right. You had multiple people who were in the Harry Potter series. You had yes. Helena Bottom Carter, which is Helena Bottom Carter, Helena right? Bottom, right. You know, yeah. you've got Sam uh, Claflin, who played Mycroft. And while his portrayal of Mycroft maybe was not always, you know, one that everyone loved, yes. he was very true to the character in the book. He was. He was. And he, was. he, being known from the Hunger Games series, you know, people people will recognize, you know, mm -hmm. his ability as an actor. And, mm -hmm. you know, and then if you're an Anglophile, you got Born Gorman, you've got, you know. Bert Gorman is like, a, that's he's just a natural scene stealer. Like his, <laughs> he, every, everything he's in, you can't stop looking at him. But even that, right? yeah. He's got that can face. Bit, can we talk about the Mycroft for a minute? Yes, we can. Sure. <laughs> yes, let's get into not, it as in love with his characterization. Right. And, right. and Crystal and I were discussing this after we watched the movie. I We pre-gamed. We, we did pre-game <laughs> this. Um, so I get that the Holmes siblings needed someone in there who was going to be the foil, the person right. who was going to be the bad guy. And yes. it pretty much had to be Mycroft. But um, I... I didn't think him yelling in the cab was very canonical. Yes. I, I I felt like he was a little too emotional for mm -hmm. for Mycroft, for my taste. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then yes. also, I just, when Mrs. Lane, the housekeeper, mm -hmm. was talking to Sherlock when he was alone, um, I believe in his mother's room and she walked in and she was talking about Enola had left and she had left her money and all that. And she said, you know, she's very much like you. She runs rings around me like, mm -hmm. like um, you used to do. And Mycroft couldn't do that. And that's why he, you mm -hmm. know, that's mm -hmm. why he's jealous of you. Mycroft is the smartest sibling. Like right. that's the canon. Yeah. <laughs> and it is Mycroft is smarter smart than most of them put together. Right. Absolutely. So, and Crystal did, you know, make the good point that maybe it's not that he isn't smarter. It's the fact that he doesn't have the people skills. Like, they yeah. can run around them by, you know, sort of reading the room a little bit better than he can. Yeah. But still, I, I was not as happy with the, the Mycroft characterization. I didn't hate it. It just right. did not seem canonical, even though we get two stories of Mycroft in it, so it's not like there's a lot to go on. Yes. yes. But, but saying it's not canonical, we're basically saying it's not Arthur Conan Doyle canonical. Right. It's right, very right. much, I'm going to use the word pastichable. No, that's, that's not a real word. Because it is true <laughs> to the books. Yes. I mean, okay. so it, it depends on which way you're looking at it. And, right. and that's another thing is that there is not nearly as much Sherlock and Mycroft in the book as turned up in the film. Mm. Um, so a lot of that was, you know, Jack Thorne's writing him in. Okay. Um, probably to give people, like give audiences something to connect to. Like the, that's right. your familiar character. Um, they're like, okay, everyone, do you think that's why they did it that way? Um, I, I do to an extent, um, but a lot of what I, I think about it is exactly what, what Heather kind of said and that they, they had to have, they had to have a so-called villain for a for Enola's story. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and you had to figure out who that was yes. um, without getting too spoilery 
about it. But I also think that, you know, the the director, um, Harry Bradbeer, he he wants to do five more of these. Wow. Um, he wants to do basically the whole series. And if you're going to have a character like Mycroft and like Sherlock, who are common threads throughout the entire series in the sense that, you know, Enola is always having some sort of connection or off connection with them. Right. You have to give those characters a basis in which to grow or stand upon. That's true. And mm-hmm. so we do have now a foundation of Mycroft as a character. And I think that that was kind of important to the, to the future story. If right. we do get more of these, which please let us have them. Yeah. Yes. yeah he I mean, could have a really interesting arc, you know, starting exactly. out where he starts out. I liked how with, um, uh, the way that Henry Cavill did uh, did Sherlock in this one, I thought it was a good balance of uh, of acting and the way he was written because it was like he was there just enough. Uh, he, he played he played calm and introspective, which is again not something that you see much with portrayals of Sherlock. Right. But um, I also like how it, it was definitely written as a supporting character. It was yes. important and familiar, but. Uh, <clears throat> But like like you were saying, never took anything away from the character of Enola in terms of the writing, and also didn't take anything away from Millie Bobby Brown on screen. And she just she did an incredible job, in my opinion. Like she was, uh, I, I'm supremely impressed with how she played that because there we've probably seen in other movies that whenever they do the um, the precocious young woman who is uh you know defies the conventions of her time that tends to get overplayed a lot too like the it tends to be written in a way that's like they're throwing it right in your face like look how quirky she is you know um i I thought that this portrayal was she's clearly smart precocious um and and doesn't go along with the conventions of her time but it was in a way that's like there was it was a believable person she didn't it didn't seem like a contrived personality it was like okay this is this is just an interesting person to watch yeah heather and i were actually talking about the fact that um in the the many sherlockian circles that we have seen over the last few days mostly facebook groups um people people have actually been talking about her portrayal as anola and how there are people who do believe that she portrayed her a little over the top Mm. Um, but I think you have to kind of take that into consideration. The fact that these are written for, these are YA novels. These are written to be a family movie. If you are a 11 to 13 year old girl watching this, watching this series, that character doesn't seem over the top to you. She, she doesn't seem to push any envelope other than the fact of she's going on an adventure and who didn't want to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, and Uh the fact that she breaks the fourth wall so much yeah leads you the lends you the ability to be a little more over the top and still make right. it believable because you have that suspension of disbelief that you're poking at every once in a while so mm-hmm. it works within the construction of the film correct yeah. right i agree well and i think the books in the book she's written as 14 also right like they yeah, they, she, they aged her up a little bit so that it would match millie bobby brown's age but they um, also they they, they kind of had to if they were going to have leave her living at the end of the movie if they were going to leave her living alone. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're going to do that as a fourteen year old. I, I will say this: like, so the premise of the movie, they actually this is just from a the construction of the film, uh, like a standpoint from that. Like, um, you're talking about a woman who just abandoned her child. Right. <laughs> right. She just left. If they had not constructed the film by interspersing 
the all the action with you back with you having flashbacks to her happy loving childhood right would you have been able to like her mother as much because no. really just it just been like a movie where she she had a happy childhood but we're not going to show it to you and her mom abandoned her you hate that woman right that, and, well you're right that and she was 14 when she abandoned saying, her that's why they and had to not only did she abandon her she did it at 14 right <laughs> right yeah. let's yeah, make her 20 something she left her clue. She could have just wrote her a note. No. Nope. <laughs> and and actually, that's 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 one thing about in the book. She left her a bunch of clues. Like they 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 didn't really hit on that in the film. That there was a lot of clues that she did leave her. Um, and they you don't you don't get as much of the mother in the books because right. they're so short. Um, so that I really whole bomb I, thing, that whole bomb thing is new. Is new. Whoa. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you don't really find out in the first book where the mother's gone or why she's gone, you know, anywhere. Like the whole revolutionary thing is, Mm -hmm. is a completely new, you know, storyline that they've added. Um, it may show up in the later books. I'll let you know. I'm only on the second one. Um, but you know, it's, it really is, it really is, I think, good that they did age her up. Um, because they also aged up, uh, Tewksbury. Um, the Viscount mm-hmm. or Lord at the end, um, because in the books he was only twelve. Oh my! Wow. He was he was twelve and she was fourteen. So yeah. I mean, you know, they had to age them both to make this story something that at least we, as in our modern day times, would grasp. Mm-hmm. You know, right. the characters themselves. Also, if a sixteen-year-old had just left a twelve-year-old to himself <laughs> in the middle of London. We yeah. wouldn't have liked her very much. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. You know, I, I think showing those backgrounds of her, um, her life and showing the happy childhood and the things that her mom taught her kind of, uh, it, it uh, lent to Sherlock's, you know, backstory as well. And Mycroft's as well, because it shows that, you know, their mother was highly intelligent. She knew all of these things. They were, they were bo- like seeing the home, the ancestral home was pretty cool for me. Uh, yes, me too. That was pretty cool to see. Then to see like um, the the mother who was that knowledgeable, it kind of just lends to Sherlock's nature. It did make me wonder who raised Mycroft and Sherlock. Right. Have that same kind of the right. there in their upbringing. Right. And um, if so, how did Mycroft turn out like that? <laughs> and if not. <laughs> And if not, why not? No, right. because the father was there for for right. pretty much all of their upbringing because he Correct. he he. That is know, true, but that's so much older than just him. Dad was there doesn't mean mom couldn't have taken a hand in in you know. The no, edu- but but dad had to make sure he was willing to be the uh, the heir to everything that was there. Well, I mean, that's true. Had to well, we got to fit up. We got to figure out how cool dad was to marry mom because mom's awesome. Right. You know, how how well, we, cool was dad? Well, we, we also know, though, that mom was friends with Miss Henderson. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, so mom had right. the classic upbringing of the finishing school and right. things like that. It yep. may not have been, granted, who knows, it may not have been until after dad died mm-hmm. that mom started oh. venturing out and realizing, because she wanted to keep house herself. Right. Like right. she didn't understand. Well, it's not that she didn't understand. She didn't want Mycroft to be running the household. 
Right. Yeah. She didn't understand in the books. They talk about how she did not understand why the rent of the, of the people who are on the land was not being paid to right. her at right. the house, why right. it went to Mycroft and why he kind of oversaw everything and why she had to submit her accounts to him. Right. Like, so, I mean, there, it could be that that didn't happen till, till later. Mm-hmm. Um, also, here's a question. How come Sherlock and Mycroft didn't go visit their mama? I mean, that's yeah, yeah, be- yeah, because, okay, once again, the books, because and this is a falling on the, on the script part, because they didn't talk about this, is she actually told them not to come home. Oh. She actually told oh. them that they were not welcome. Oh. So in oh, the, in the books, in the books, Anola believes that they didn't come home because she was the accidental child. Oh. Um, people oh. looked down on their family because she was born so many years after her brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why they named her Anola alone because she would be growing up alone and, you know, she was made fun of a lot and things like that. So huh. they, they, she actually believed they didn't come home because of her. It wasn't until you find out later on from Mycroft and Sherlock that um, mom told them not to come home. She what told you, them that they weren't welcome there. What do you think that she told them not to come home because they didn't want her to grow up around that male kind of heir? No, of, it was it was because she did she had a fight with them after the father. Uh, well, see, I got to read the damn book. Read, it's 217 <laughs> pages. Read the book. Yeah, I got to read the damn book. <laughs> No, I, I mean, to do that. and I will say the book is a very easy read. It is. Right. I, I flipped through it in a few hours. It was very, very easy. Um, I will say that there was one failing in the movie that um, I'm going to hit on. Um, and it's a comparative to the books and the way that Nancy Springer wrote them. Right. So when um, Enola leaves home, um, she specifically doesn't dress as a boy. Um Ooh. And the reason she didn't is because she actually said it is because that's exactly what they would have expected her to do. Hmm. They would expect her to dress as a boy and then run away. And, you know, so that she embraced the corsets, which she hated and, you know, things like that and the dresses so mm-hmm. that she would fit in. And they, you didn't actually get that until she got to London in the, in the movie when she said, you know, I'm going to do the unexpected in the books, she did that way earlier because she thought they'll look for a boy. Right. right. I mean, it makes sense. Sherlock Holmes yeah. is her brother. He, he would think instantly at the beginning that it's probably a scruffy-looking boy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So it's, it, it is interesting that, you know, I, I, I see why they went that way with it. Um, I guess because they wanted it. I don't know. They didn't want, I, never mind. I don't see it. I don't see it at all. <laughs> I tried to, I tried to rationalize tried. it and I right. just talked myself out of it. It's um, good though. <laughs> no, I mean, and, and the thing is, is that I, I did like the fact that they played off of her changing, changing clothes and getting into disguises all the way through right. it. Because mm-hmm. one of the things that Sherlock Holmes canonically is known for, and Watson mm-hmm. even has said in the original stories that, you know, the stage lost a great actor right. in the mm-hmm. fact that Sherlock Holmes became a detective because mm. Sherlock Holmes ability to disguise himself mm-hmm. and to change his appearance, the way he talks, the way he walks, all of that is so you know, legendary, yep. basically. And so them giving Enola 
a piece of that. Nancy Springer giving Enola a piece of that, you know, and then them taking it one step further by showing her with the different costume changes throughout. You know, it is a nod, I think, to to Sherlock Holmes's ability and the things that, you know, she has learned. I just want to know more about the Holmes family now. Like, I want lore. Like, more <laughs> and more and more lore from yeah, the Holmes. Like, say. I need to flesh that out. That's the universe. <laughs> like that, the that does make it a lot more interesting when you've got, like, instead of just a, the character that a lot of people who may, maybe aren't deep into uh, Sherlockian things just know of the one character, like, and maybe right. nothing about the family. But seeing it, like, seeing that context and the other, like, the siblings and the parents and all that that really adds a lot of depth and, mm-hmm. and that I think it really does. I mean, it makes that'll, that'll get people more interested who are just casually interested. I think. Right. There are a ton of pastiches. Um, and for those who don't know, pastiche is basically like a published Sherlock fan fiction. Uh, <laughs> so just a book about Sherlock Holmes that was written by someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll, uh, they'll go into a ton of different things. In fact, the best one I've ever read is called Mycroft Holmes. It was, um, it's only about Mycroft Holmes, and it was written by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. No way. What? Okay. Yeah. Wow. How did I not know any of this? (laughs) And actually- Buried the lead on that one. Yeah. (laughs) He he is a huge Sherlockian. He's a huge Sherlockian. He's literally a huge Sherlockian. I know know he wrote a book. He's written He's written two. Oh my God. There's a sequel. They are so- good okay i, I gotta I, get this I, when i say this as a sherlockian i got the book um i got an advanced reading copy his publisher sent it to me um because we get those sometimes because we run the con and i was like yeah this is gonna suck it is the best sherlock Holmes i've ever read wow. that <laughs> that's amazing i mean the thing is is like when when we talk about sherlock holmes being one of the oldest fandoms you right. you know that we're not joking right. but like the number of pastiches that have been written about sherlock holmes whether he's taking on jack the ripper or whether he's a yes. dog or a mouse or you know anything is absolutely huge and that's before you even get into you know actual online fan fiction that's not published right. in books right. so it is actually really hard to get into the pastiche world and find things that you fall in love with i i personally have a rule that's like you know multiple people have to tell me something's good before i'm gonna pick up this book yes right? i mean and then you fall you have your favorite authors in the pastiche world that you could you know immediately gravitate to if they ever write anything else but like you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's book was like, I've only read the first one. I haven't read the second one yet, it, but it is, it is really, really good. And then you've got people like um, Sherry Thomas, who um, she has written um, a Sherlock Holmes pastiche series in which Sherlock Holmes doesn't really exist. His quote unquote sister, who, you know, is actually the Sherlock Holmes character is solving all these all these crimes and things huh. in London and um, Sherlock Holmes himself is a bedridden, you know, guy in a next room, which is oh, real. Wow. Wow. I mean, like it's, That's crazy. so you've got that. And then you've got, you know, all these other great pastiches that are out there and they're really hard sometimes to sift through and find the good ones, but you know, read, read, read them. They're good. Well, I know where to so, go to get the good ones. So uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has three of them out now. Just oh my God. so you know. Yeah. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has three, Three. Great when when well, did the third one come out? Because I only know the first two. Let me check and see oh. about that. 
<laughs> I can only say this because I went looking as soon as you guys said it and it was like, buy the whole series. You know, I, I've got mechanical keyboard, so I've been not clicking. I've been, my hands have been shaking mm-hmm. this whole time. <laughs> After they sent me the first uh, book, they sent me an art copy of the second one. But I guess oh. I don't get the third one. The third one I have to pay for. The third one you got. Like it's and... like drugs. The first couple of days for free. <laughs> <laughs> I have to pay for that third. So, so the third one was published uh, September 24th of 2019. So about a year ago. So there you go. So there is a third one out. So, you know. Mycroft and Sherlock, The Empty Birdcage. So. I'm just, my mind is blown right now. I'm a Sherlock Holmes fan. I've been for a very long time. It's one of the first books I ever read was a Sherlock Holmes book. One of the first characters I ever uh, 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 freaking, like, I felt like I knew this person was Sherlock Holmes, and uh, I connected with Sherlock Holmes, with Sherlock Holmes in that way, which made me love other detective things like that. Sherlock Holmes started my fandom of Batman. Yeah. You know, it, that's you know, it, and then I have, of course, I have the the comic with Sherlock Holmes and Batman together, of course. Um, but <laughs> it's uh, it's amazing that that exists, and I don't know about it. That is wild. It blows my mind. It really does. Well, before we before we keep moving on here, can we let's talk about the women's equality stuff that was all through Enola Holmes? You know, yes. <laughs> yes, yes, it was amazing. I I actually I loved it, and I thought that it was pretty you know spot on for where we are right now in the world. Yep. But um, I would like to just talk about, um, and and this is going to be going back to to a meme that actually I I shared on Facebook. But the one of the things they talked about is in the scene where Sherlock Holmes is with Edith. Yes. Um, she actually calls him out on the fact that he has no interest in um, in politics because he's not interested in changing a world that suits him. Right. And I, I really that that one scene really hit home, at <laughs> least for me, because of how many people are just letting things go or don't not understanding what's wrong with everything right now because mm-hmm. it suits them to not care I think what's or amazing, to not push for any change. What's amazing about that scene is that it's something that I say and it's something that most black people who talk about politics say. That's it, it was amazing when she said it and his and I'm gonna give credit more credit to Henry for actually responding like I expect someone in his mind frame to respond to it it was good it was a very powerful scene and it really hit hit home it really did yeah i also like that she was threatening him with a tea kettle yes yes, yes. <laughs> yes. for the teapot yes. and, that, and that he knew it was dangerous right he yeah. recognized like, it right that, that is a weapon in your hands <laughs> I, I want a poster of the jujitsu class i want i want a poster of all the women in there with her I want that poster <laughs> of that jiu-jitsu class because it was like a beautifully framed shot when she showed up to this, uh, oh, to this play. Yeah. It was yes. beautifully framed. I was like, wow, that's gorgeous. That's a beautiful thing. Oh, wait, can we talk about somebody whose characterization I really didn't like in this movie? <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, yes. be? Lestrade. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. they do? Everybody. Oh, my gosh. It was so bad. That. I mean, Oh, you're in Mycroft's pocket. You're yeah. You're like angry at a little girl. Right. Like you're, just, you're not a cool guy. I thought you right. were a cool guy, Lestrade. 
Lestrade's <laughs> supposed to be a cool guy. I mean, yeah. right? He's, made he's him a the toady. best of the lot. Right. Yeah. They made him a toady. Right? Do you I think was, it was just because they, they needed the foils? So kind of like they did with Mycroft. So you, you had to have someone to, to push back against a little more. But but still, they could have made him, <laughs> they could have made him, like if Mycroft wanted to, to contact him, he still could have been Lestrade. Yeah, yeah, it yeah definitely like, was not the Lestrade oh, you expected. Oh, you, you, it was, he could have been. The, he could have at least been Gregson. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean if you're going to be so disrespectful to a character, yeah, it didn't have to be Lestrade. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do want to. I do want to point out one thing that I liked that was a nod to canon in that offhand way, and that is that uh, Mycroft did say to Sherlock, "I have the best of Scotland Yard on it," um, and Lestrade is supposed to be, like Heather said, the best of the bad lot. Like he's 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 supposed to be the good, you know, the good detective. So he he did, you know. That's kind of right-ish. He was yeah. a toad. He was a he straight was a toad. toad. <laughs> he toad. Was. Like, like he was like Igor. It was embarrassing. It was fucking. I was like, wow, no. I I will say that there was like one spot I got really hung up, um, and it was the the scene where you kind of meet Lestrade, um, where you know Anola is there with. Um, Tewksbury's family. Yes. And then Lestrade comes in the back door of the room they're all in. And it's like right. he just wandered in from nowhere. And then he's like, I'm Lestrade <laughs> of Scotland Yard. And then a second later, he's like, but I'm Lestrade of Scotland Yard. It's like, yes, we've got we it. Know. We picked that up the last time we know who you are. Like, there was just this whole moment of, of me being like, how did you get into this room without being announced? And why are you introducing yourself to these people when you technically should have already met them if this boy's been gone a few days? Yes. Right. Like yeah. there's that was a, a little bit of a plot hole for me. Yeah, it did, that was that was definitely it stood out as a little bit of an awkward moment. It's like, wait, I don't turn why did this I don't all right, I'm out of it. Steve for a just second. walked in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag not Milas Drawed. There we That's go. Right. Yes. There it is. Nice. Hashtag justice for Lestrade. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's a more positive framing because we're hoping that there's a better arc and more oh, stories. That yes. was yeah, but... that was our Lestrade's little brother, the real Lestrade. <laughs> <laughs> the alternate universe Lestrade. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, see, in the BBC Sherlock, we our hashtag is hashtag not my division. So, see, oh, our yeah. Lestrade was focused on you know a murder. And his brother slash cousin slash, I don't know, A.U. Lestrade was focused on the missing persons. That's, ah. that's what I'm going with. Headcanon <laughs> of myself accepted. <laughs> I'll take it. That works. Um, Makes me sleep better at night. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, something that I read about um, and heard about leading up to this was that... Um, because it's, it's this is all kind of under the umbrella and in the shadow of Arthur Conan Doyle. Um, his estate had. Well, I was like, you're about to talk about the law. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just want to touch on that before we have to go because it's out there and I'm kind of curious, like why you know why that mm -hmm. happened and if you have any feelings about like this portrayal because there are issues with this portrayal of Sherlock, right? Like what's um, 
there well, the thing well, about the thing about the Arthur Conan Doyle estate, and I'm going to say this as diplomatically as I possibly can. <laughs> um, they seem to have problems with lots of things that they can throw lawyers at. <clears throat> no, no, they seem and to have problems payoffs. with lots of things that they might be able to make money off of. Well, I was gonna, I was trying to be allegedly diplomatic um, so that Heather, uh, we don't get sued. Um, <laughs> we also, we okay, we should also disclose that we know the lawyers on both sides. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> and and one of the one of the technical consultants for this film was um, a man named Leslie Klinger. Um, who, by the way, has done some annotative, you know, Dracula's and Frankenstein's and Sherlock Holmes's that are fantastic. Um, and he's about to do Sandman. Yeah, <gasps> he's about to do Sandman. Um, oh, I had a big gasp. Oh, he, my heart. He was a technical consultant on this film, but he is also the lawyer who was on uh, the people's side of um, the Arthur Conan Doyle uh, lawsuits. Um, he... Basically, what they like to say is that um, the last, I think it's 10 stories, are still under copyright law in the United States. Um, oh, well, from the beginning, what they said was, because the last 10 stories were under copyright, all of the stories were under copyright. And that had to go through American courts. And the American wow. court said, nah, dude, nah, you got the last 10. So, yeah, I, I skipped the first part of that. So I jumped straight to the second half. So it's because the last 10 stories are still under copyright law, apparently. I think it might be nine now. I think maybe one of them recently has one, one recently open. Um, basically, what they're trying to argue is that the movie portrays Sherlock Holmes as emotional. And Sherlock Holmes was not emotional in any of the first stories only in the last 10 and therefore they could sue Netflix for um, the way that they are portraying Sherlock actually, Holmes. Actually, okay, so I read what they actually filed and it's a little more crass than that even. What they said was that the last 10 stories were written during World War One. After Arthur Conan Doyle's son was killed in the war. And therefore, the emotional um, Sherlock Holmes was a byproduct of his son's death and could not have existed before in the previous stories. And so, this more emotional <laughs> Sherlock Holmes that actually cared for his sister was um, under copyright because. Arthur Conan Doyle's son died in World War One. That, that is what in the legal world we call a hell of a stretch. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much what Leslie Klinger and everyone else said when they when they came against it. But yeah. that is what it was. Like wow. the the whole thought process of qua. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, there there was really. I, I mean, even Netflix laughed at them. So the really fun thing that I loved about this is that the day that the lawsuit hit um, against Enola Holmes, and not the books, by the way, they completely ignored Nancy Springer and, you know, publishing the books all these years. Um, the, the, when the day the lawsuit hit, Netflix actually put out on both their Facebook and their Twitter a teaser about Enola Holmes coming out and how exciting it was going to be. You know, mm. I mean, that it was like their way of saying, you know, f you. <laughs> like, right. like, you know, you're you're suing us, but hey, we're still promoting this movie. Wow. Yeah. And 
And I actually, you know, I was like, good job, Netflix. <laughs> I'm glad they did. And I'm glad we got to see it. And I'm really hoping you said there's plans for more. I have really hoped they get to do them because this one was pretty much a blast. And the, the director wants five more. So I'll take, I'll take all five. Thank you very much. I would uh, watch all I, five. I, I just want to, I want to slip in something that, you know, Heather and I, um, we were talking about earlier pre-podcast. Um, but in mentioning the fact that Netflix has, you know, in their PR that they did leading up to this movie. Um, Heather brought up, brought to my attention earlier, and she can talk about it, um, is that they did a kind of almost immersive PR campaign with statues across yes, Europe. I saw that, yeah. Um, and Heather can explain it better than I can. So Heather? Uh, it was, I was just uh, where they went to uh, prominent statues of famous men and erected temporary statues of their younger sisters next to them. So like Mozart's <laughs> younger sister next to him and next to a very famous statue of Sherlock Holmes, they erected a statue of Enola Holmes. <laughs> it was sort of like a viral marketing thing. And so they, they did that. And if you want to go look up the pictures, they're, they're very cool. Netflix UK has got them on their, their Twitter account. It's like the one for Mozart, they actually even explain like Maria Anna Mozart was gifted as a harpsichord and forte piano player. And she toured with Mozart and often received top billing. But um, as she got older, because she was female, she couldn't pursue a career. So Mozart's the one that we, rem that we remember. Right. And... Yeah, so it, it's really, really cool to look at these, you know, these statues of, of the younger sisters. That's such a cool idea. Yeah, it is. Give, give a raise to whoever in the marketing department came up with that. Right? Mm -hmm. Seriously. Good job. <laughs> Seriously. Yes. Well, thank you all for coming on and uh, talking with us about this. Um, Enola Holmes is awesome, and we are really hoping to see more of it. And really uh, hope that we get back to some level of normalcy soon so we can go back to 221B Con also. Yes, it'll be my first time, so I'm excited to go. Whenever yeah. I go. We are crossing our fingers for that one. Um, where uh, where should people go if they want to find out more about 221B Con or find you online? Uh, we are, of course, on um, Twitter and Facebook and online. So it's at 221B Con, wherever you are, or 221BCon.com. Got it. Awesome. Well, um, everybody listening, thank you for joining us for another episode. We hope you've enjoyed it. And you can always stream our episodes on glitchypancakes.com directly or on any of your favorite podcast apps. We are on, I think, all of them now. Um, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at Glitchy Pancakes. If you have questions, suggestions, anything like that, email them to cakespod at gmail.com. If you want to find me uh, on Twitter, I'm at Jesse underscore A underscore Adams. Uh, Rob, where can I find you? I am at EI Blackout on Twitter. That's I-A-I-B-L-A-C-K-O-U-T. And Allie, where can we find you at? I am on most things online at Allie 911. It's A-L-L-I-E 911. Got it. And let me just plug really quickly. <laughs> also, multiverse uh, uh, convention coming up that multiverse. Jesse and I chair and Heather and Crystal have been kindly helping us out with. And Rob has been there since the beginning. So uh, we are going online October the 16th through the 18th. And it's all free. So come hang out with us. Yes. Yay. Follow us uh, at MultiverseCon pretty much anywhere you look for us and get all the info about that. So, yeah, thank you everyone for listening, and we will catch you on the next episode. Bye, everybody. Take it easy, Bye, guys. guys. Bye. Bye, guys.